Earlier this week on the show, uh, we were chatting with Mary Jane James from the Sexual Assault Centre of Edmonton, and we literally ran out of time. The show ended, and, and, and I think Mary Jane was just getting warmed up. So uh, we reached out and said, you know what, Mary Jane, let, let's do this again and make sure that we are uh, able to have the full conversation about what we were discussing that day. So I'm delighted that Mary Jane James is back, and she's brought a friend. Kristen Raworth is also here today, and we're going to talk about um, sexual assault centres, not just in Edmonton, but in Alberta and the funding in the budget that wasn't there and why that happened and why it's needed. So, Mary Jane, when, when our conversation... First of all, thank you both for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank, thank you for you. having us. Thank you. Um, and you're the first guest I've had in studio since I started this show. Not to put any pressure on you. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is a pleasure to be here. That's what, it's, that's what I'd say. Yeah, it's nice to have really you back nice. in the room. It is. Um, okay, so you and I were talking. And let's just start with, because there was some confusion, I think, Mary Jane, about... How much funding was offered? Was it turned down? Literally, these societies said, no, we don't want government funding. And it was in a way, but there's a lot that goes into that, right? Absolutely. And I'm going to try to give you the shortened version today so we don't run you into your 11 (laughs) o'clock guest. Um, We were at the table asking for $14 across 15 sexual assault centers that serve 37 communities in Alberta. Right. Uh, there were lots of back and forth, as there always is. And what they landed on is 3.9 million for counseling and another 400, 300 and change for, uh, extended rural services that, you know, are in need. Sure. V- public education, police and court support, et cetera. So in all, it was 4.2. And, you know, we talked about it and we thought, you know, well, we should probably take it. It is money. It's not yep, like a not-for-profit to turn down money. But the t- the thing that, that made us walk away, in their words, not ours, was the one-year funding only for counselling, which we believed was setting us up to fail. Because by the time you, you know, you hire and you train registered psychologists to, de- to deal in this very specific area of trauma, it would be three to four months. Then we're, you know, and then we've got eight months to prove that we've reduced our wait list or eliminated it. We knew we couldn't do that because you never know what, what care and, and, uh, counseling a client is going to need. Are mm-hmm. they going to need 10? Are they going to need 30? Are they going to need 50 sessions? So it's really hard. And all the while, we're getting 8 to 10 new intakes a day. So it was almost impossible. So we said, is there any way that you can give us long-term sustainable funding, even at 4.2? And the answer was no. So here we are. I, I mean, talk about how... I mean, that's not even... Keep, if you want to talk about keeping up, that's one thing. But the back log right now, Mary Jane. I mean, it's massive, isn't it? It's massive and it's and it's very discouraging. It, it's uh, demoralizing for these clients to be finally able to tell their story, to reach out for the help that they need and to be told now it's 15 to 16 months at wow. CACE. That's, that's an awful long time to keep that trauma inside. And of course we're going to be there for them for crisis support and whatever else they need. But for the trauma therapy, that's what you're looking at, 15 to 16 months. And Kristen, you know, as a sexual assault survivor, someone who's been through this uh, 15, 16 months, obviously, that's, that's not, I'm not going to say it doesn't help, but I mean, it, it's certainly not adequate. It's not what's needed, right? No, it's not. And I think that what's really important when we talk about 
the experience as a survivor is that for everybody, uh, disclosing is different. Yeah. And when you decide to disclose your experience, when you decide to start seeking help. But when you make that decision, that's a monumental moment in your experience. And if you make that decision and you go forward and you can't get the help that you need in that moment, and crisis support, like Mary Jane said, is one thing. Yeah. But it is, you know, I have, I have complex PTSD as a result of my sexual assault. Mm -hmm. I struggle with that every day. And if I had not received extensive care and support and counseling, I don't think I would have been here. I mean, I disclosed my assault to Mary Jane specifically. Okay. And I was then um, provided with supports through SAIS. At the time, actually, I was working uh, for the government of Alberta, and I was contract managing for the sexual assault centers. Wow, okay. So walk me through that experience. You, you, you disclosed <clears throat> it, you talked to Mary Jane, and it's that wraparound, it's the, it's the therapy, it's the consulting that we're talking about. How did that work for you at the time? So at the time, this was I was assaulted in August of 2015. I disclosed uh, in September of 2016. Okay. Uh, to, ironically, actually an entire room of sexual assault center executive directors, because I I was working for them at the time and it just kind of came out. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was given access to that support. So for me, what that was, was initially getting a sense of where I was at and what I needed and then really trying to unpack the trauma from not just my assault, but also the fact that I wasn't believed by the people around me, that my experience disclosing to police was extremely negative, which is a very common experience for survivors, that I was engaging in self-harm, and I had issues with addictions as a result of my assault. So it was unpacking all of those things. Right. And also the... The trauma response, because when you have been trauma, traumatized and you are dealing with complex PTSD, which is a significant issue for survivors of sexual assault, you need to learn coping mechanisms. And those are not always things that you can do on your own without that kind of support. And crisis counseling is one session. Right, exactly. If you do one session and then you do another one session, you have to explain your trauma all over again. And half the session is devoted to that conversation as opposed to being able to work from a place of already having disclosed and then working forward from there. And I think that's something that people need to understand that <clears throat> if you're always having to disclose every time you call, that is re-traumatizing for a lot of, of survivors to have that conversation. It makes mm -hmm. perfect sense. And Mary Jane, I mean, obviously, I, I have no experience with this, but I, I'm just thinking, okay, if, if you if you go through that process that Kristen went through, where she, she exposed, she came out, she talked about it, she disclosed what had happened to her, and then all of a sudden it was like, okay, we can help you in 16 weeks. I mean, that is, that's tragic. That's mm -hmm. got to be the worst response you can hear. 16 months, actually. 16 months, sorry, yeah, of course. Um, Yes, we've had, uh, not to be dramatic, but we've had people on our wait list who have ended their lives yeah, while waiting I on the wait it. list. We've had clients who have openly harmed themselves in our waiting room. Uh, they're, so, they're under such PTSD and trauma, trauma from the, from what happened to them. Uh, we've had it all. And, you know, it's, it's something that the world would rather not us be a part of. It's, mm -hmm. it, we'd rather be, live in a world that was free of, of sexual course, violence. Of but of course we're not. And the reason we're not is because we continue to push it to the side. Like it happened to some people over on an isolated island or something. These are people who live among us. And we all know, and I say this all the time, we all know someone who's been impacted by sexual violence, whether we know we do right. or not. Yeah. And they talk about, you know, the unhoused uh, situation, which is obviously very problematic, the mental health and addictions situation, which is extremely disconcerting. 
There's recent studies have demonstrated that 83 to 85% of the youth who are living on the street, either unhoused or addicted to drugs or with significant mental health problems or all three, have had childhood trauma that has been left unhealed. So if we want to get at this problem, we have to get at the root causes of where the trauma is. And for that, you've got to have competent, experienced psychologists and social workers who know what they're doing. This is a very, a very skilled profession to get at that trauma. And will we see the results tomorrow or next week or next month? No, we probably won't. But pay it now or pay it later. That's, that's the bottom line. We're going to pay it. So let's just do the right thing by these people, try to get them back on their feet, try to give them the life that they deserve to have before a sexual violence experience derailed it. Yeah. And that's 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 what a society does. We're, we're only as strong as our weakest links. And right now, we have a lot of weak links in our city and around our province who are desperately crying out for our help. I need to take a quick break. We've talked about where we were, where we are. I, I want to talk about where we need to go and the process around that because again some confusion with the provincial government on that so we'll take a quick break we're chatting with mary jane james of the uh, ceo of the sexual assault center and Kristen raworth who's a sexual assault survivor uh has gone through uh sace and uh we'll be back with them in just a moment we're chatting with Kristen Raworth and Mary Jane James of the Sexual Assault Center of Edmonton. And we're going to get into where we need to go in terms of what um, the Sexual Assault Center of Edmonton and others like it around the province, and there's a bunch, need in order to make this work. But, Kristen, what is that? What does that look like when we have the proper framework, the proper structure in place? What that looks like is uh, creating a system where we do uh, have... The, the availability for survivors to be able to connect with a counselor as soon as possible. And if they can't, and if there is a wait list, because I mean, the reality is, is even if the government steps in tomorrow and provides support, the wait list is not going to go away overnight. It's going to take time to address that. It is being able to provide supports for survivors in that interim period. Uh, one of the things that this government has uh, developed, d- demonstrated a commitment to is mental health. They've put forward a yeah, significant yeah. amount of funding towards mental health. One of the things that they've committed to is 211. So they provided, I think, almost $5 million to 211. And that's great. But 211 is one of those things where you call and who do they refer you to? They refer you to SACE. Sure. Yeah. So yeah. we need to provide that stopgap support between 211 and SACE, between all these different organizations, even the Family Violence Info Line, which uh, the government runs, which is something that you can call. It's a 24 hour line. And if you do uh, are experiencing family violence, they will talk to you for upwards to an hour, but then they will provide you with a referral okay. to a women's shelter. Are women's shelters ref- getting more funding through this current government structure? No, they are not. Right, exactly. So it's about those those stop gaps that you know. For myself, as someone who experienced sexual violence, I struggled very very much with being able to even acknowledge that I was in. Uh, crisis. Mm-hmm. And it was very mm-hmm. difficult for me to get there. And when I did take that moment to say that, I needed someone to be able to support me, not just in that moment, that one hour of saying, I need help, but beyond that. And so that's that's where we really need to focus that energy because for a lot of survivors, and again, I also want to highlight, this is not a women's issue. This is an issue, men, LGBTQ2S, non-binary sure. people. Yeah. This is a issue that affects one in three women, one in four men, 
across this province. I mean, there's three people in this room and one of us is a sexual violence survivor mm-hmm. that, that identifies as such. Right. So that is something that happens all of the time. So we need to be able to give people the support when they need it, how they need it to ensure that we are making keeping people safe. Because ultimately, that is the biggest thing, is making sure that people are safe in that small period of time before they can access long-term counseling. Get into the long-term, exactly. And, and we talk so much, and you know, you look at our mayor, you look at the mayor of Calgary, all talking about social disorder and all, and, and it all, it's like you said, Mary Jane, it all stems back, we can trace, but we know where this comes from. We, I mean, anybody who's walked in this world at all knows where it starts, right? Um, so it's not a mystery, and it shouldn't be, and we've got, and, and I love the recovery-based model that our government's put in, but... There's a lot of things that have to happen before recovery that we've overlooked, um, and part of it is the work that you do. I mean, that's where a lot of that recovery starts. So with this funding and the fact that there was none uh, in, in the latest budget or not an increase for you, um, what what what's the process now? Because last time we spoke, you were on a way, your way to a meeting with a government official to discuss this, and it got cancelled. So where does that stand now? Well, I think this has become a very hot-button issue for the UCP. And I think that, um, you know, when the Premier was asked about it, you know, at, at that level yeah. by, the, by the media, uh, I think she had some, some explaining to do. I think she may have been under-informed or perhaps not informed at all about the, the, the issue and why it broke down. So she, um, I think, I don't know this, but I'm suspecting that they had a meeting and said, look, we got to get this settled down. Yeah. We've, we got to yeah. fix this. We got to get back to the table. We've got to do something. And what's that going to be? And how can we fix it? Cause I really, you know, I, this is not a partisan issue, certainly not for me. This is not about me. This is not about SACE. This is not about any sexual assault center across the province. This is about the thousands of Albertans who are feeling lost, abandoned, ignored, minimized, trivialized, you name it. That's how they're feeling. That's what they tell us. That's what we hear every day on the phone. And I think this government may not completely understand and i hope they don't understand i hope that they don't understand what it is like to be a victim Mm -hmm. of sexual violence because being a victim of sexual violence is a life-altering lifelong uh you know, slap <laughs> that they did not deserve, they did not ask for, but yet it happened to them anyway. It's very, very, very complicated, and every survivor's journey is different. Every single survivor processes dif- it differently. Some have extreme PTSD. Some have, you know, just in a des- complete desire to end their life. And when you know that 83-ish percent of victims of sexual violence know their perpetrator. It's really uncomfortable for all of us. We would rather it be uh, someone in a black hoodie jumping out of a jumping out of a bush or something. And And that does happen. But most of us most of survivors know their, know who harmed them. And that's really difficult for us to process. So as a result, a lot of times survivors are not believed. They don't, people don't believe that their father or their step uncle or their brother could have harmed them like that or a teacher. They don't want to believe it. Mm-hmm. So we, we live in a society right now where 
Typically, we try to find a reason to blame the survivor and excuse the behavior of the perpetrator. And we as a society can play a role in this healing. And it's really very simple. Believe them, support them, yeah. care for yeah. them, listen to them. And we, we can get through this together. And I think we can get through this with the government of Alberta. They have to step up. They have to acknowledge that these are, these are taxpayers too. They live here. Of course, they they of work here. They live here. They play here. And, you know, with all of the high profile sexual assault issues, Hockey Canada, just to name the obvious latest issue. But yesterday there was a story in the media about a toddler being sexually abused by her parents. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We see children ages three and over. We see it. We see it every day. This is not something that is going to go away by praying it away. We can't pray or hope that no, it'll go away. We, do the work. we have to do the work. And that's what we're doing across every sexual assault center in this province. That's what we get up and we do every single day. And all we want is for the people. We, we can't feed ourselves. That's right. That's we, right. we know we don't have the money. We offer our services at no fee because we know that most of those survivors could not afford to pay for professional counseling for yeah. this or anything else. So that's why we believe the barrier, you know, that's a barrier. And we're going to break that down and break down every other single barrier we know of to make sure that they feel comfortable and confident enough to reach out. And they're doing that. But then they're told they're waiting 16 exactly. months. So Which is just the I think, worst thing we can do. I think we and owe it to each other, to each other in this room. And, to, to, you know, the government owes it to us. And we owe it to the survivors to to let us just do the work. Yeah. We're yeah. going to do it, and, we, and we're not them. against outcomes. My goodness, we provide outcomes coming out our ears quarterly. Yeah. We give them stats. They know what we're doing. I think it's getting their head around the what and the how and and the why and what's what what actually happens yeah. for for a sexual is assault victim. Yeah. What yeah. is that understanding? And I just want to jump in. Later. I don't want to cut you guys off. Oh no, so no, I, I'm used you. to it. I'm used to it. <laughs> Go ahead, I just want to jump in quickly too because I think that part of this conversation has been around what one-time funding means mm -hmm, mm -hmm. for the centers and for everybody in this field. So I'm just going to take exactly. everybody back. Uh, to 2015, which is when the I Believe You campaign was launched by the government of Alberta. So under the NDP government, they launched the I Believe You campaign, which is around creating a culture of belief and sure, support yeah, for survivors. Yeah. It was actually the very first time I was in this room was doing an interview about that because okay. I was the spokesperson for the campaign. <laughs> what that campaign did, and it was one-time block funding for this campaign, what it did was create a huge rise in the wait lists. For yeah, the sexual a lot of people assault. came out and said, okay, you believe me, Ex but then yeah. they didn't have the follow-up. Yeah, and what we had at that time was a fight with the NDP government, actually, around increasing funding for the sexual assault centers because yeah. of the wait lists. So this is not a partisan issue again, and I think that speaks to it. it's not a new problem. No, it's not no. a new problem, and we've fought with governments across the board for the last, <laughs> I don't even know, like, I guess since I've been involved, since 2015, yep. um, around this issue. But every single time that you provide one-time funding, you are creating a need that you then can't commit to fulfilling. Exactly. So if sure. you yeah. go into You're just exasperating the problem, exactly. So if you provide one-term fund, one-time one funding to SACE for a year to address their waitlist, what happens after that year if that funding doesn't exist or there's no yeah. commitment yeah. to follow through when you have 
because the other thing is that the the time when survivors know, okay, I can access the support. More people are going to come sure, forward, of course they are, and yeah. more people are going to need that because, again, the number of people who've experienced sexual violence in Alberta is much higher than reported numbers. It always so. Is. Sustainable operational funding is the truly only way to be able to address this issue in a way that doesn't just help survivors now, but helps survivors a year from now and helps, helps survivors two years from us. now. Exactly. It helps all of it us. Helps all. Ladies, I, unfortunately, I'm out of time again, but I, I love this. We'll do this again. Why not? Right? Why not? Yeah, I'm going to hire Kristen as my comms. She's pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm doing good. it. Just writing that into the budget. Mary Jane James, the CEO of the Sexual Assault Center of Edmonton, and Kristen Rawworth. Thank you. Assault survivor who credits Stace with saving her. Thank you both for being here. Thank uh, we'll you. Do this again. Thank you, Chedland, for listening. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think French fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. <laughs> and Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. <laughs> For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.